You're listening to WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Media on the Radio is a podcast that features conversations with media professionals. Everyone from creators of media to those who do the marketing and distribution. This week on the podcast, we have Brigitte Sunderland, who talks about her perspective working on both sides of the camera as a producer and as an actress. Most of the celebs, the male celebs, you can look, I can look them right in the eye. I'm all like, yeah. you're little. Well, that's why like Clint Eastwood and John Wayne are like, they're always seen as like this man's man. Right. But really they're just like, they're six foot. Yeah. They're like, or they're normal height. <laughs> or like, yeah, under six foot. Like, I don't even think John Wayne was six foot, was he? He was like 5'10". Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Everybody lies. Like I, I used to go out with this hockey player who said he, in his stats, he was 5'11". He was 5'8", at best, at best. <laughs> I'm like, do they measure you guys with your skates on? That's funny. All right, so there's no question or outline, and it's meant to be a conversation. Uh-oh. So get a little closer to the mic, and then try to talk into it, even uh- though it's weird because you're, you know, because once you go like this, it goes off mic. So I shouldn't just look at you and go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so can you talk? I know that you once you started studying. Media, you were a non-traditional student. Is that correct? Because I'm an old lady, yes. That is true. So you're the third non-traditional student that I've had on the show, I think, that studied media. And it's interesting because <laughs> whenever I've, I've done it, now this is like number 21 that I've recorded, and there's a lot of people that have just really different stories of how they broke into the media field. And some are were, went to law school or wanted to, some, you know, didn't go to college and broke in that way, um, from, you know, from PA working up. But what was your way and how did you finally find, you know, the the, the love and the passion of, of working in media? Well, I was working in defense and um, and I didn't have my college degree. And so it was really kind of stuck in this position where I wasn't going anywhere. And um, and it promoted my thinking to go back and finish my college degree. So I did. And once I finished that, I was kind of still stuck in this defense industry and still not getting promoted. So I, I quit my job and I got in my car and um, ended up in L.A. And I was watching a taping of Gary Unmarried, which was being directed by James Burroughs. And I'd been an actor for a really long time. And I'd always found myself behind the scenes kind of playing with the audio people or the lighting people or whomever. And... Um, so I'm sitting on this in this set and I'm watching James Burroughs and I'm thinking, wow, I mean, he's directing, he's the puppet master of these people and he's creating this amazing story um, or somewhat amazing story. Gary Unmarried, unfortunately, wasn't very popular, but I found myself instead of watching the actors, I was watching him. And that's when I realized I'm missing something and I want to go back. So I applied to law, uh, not law school. I applied to film school at American University. That was the only school I wanted to go to. I delivered my application in hand um, because I figured if they saw me and they saw that I really wanted this, then I'd get in. And I think truly that's the reason I did get into the program. And um, and I just went from there. What was it about American? Because you're also like the third or fourth American grad that studied film and, and communications. What was it about American? Um, I didn't want to leave the area. I'm from here, and uh, and I looked at I looked at UCLA and I looked at USC and um, AFI, 
out in California. But I think for me, the reason I went to American was that um, the program's really small and it's very documentary heavy, heavy, which is not my thing per se. But I figured getting into a really small group of people that are like-minded, I'm going to have a lot more opportunities to shine here than I'm going to against Coppola's and Scorsese's kids in L.A. You know, like there's and I had a friend who went to AFI and they had to pay like twenty thousand dollars just to do a, you know, a small film project. And, you know, some of the stuff that they had to do um, was really monetarily heavy and I just couldn't afford it. And after having finished my MFA at American, I have a really great connection with all the faculty there, which I think is really great. Um, I've had a lot of experiences really close in hand with a lot of people that I just don't think I would have gotten experience at some of the bigger schools. And they've refocused a lot of their curriculum to do a lot more television writing and fiction, uh, which is great. I ran into a girl yesterday who's writing for television. That's what she wants to do, and she's getting her degree at American. So I think things are changing, and it's it's really exciting. What about after college? Did you start working on your colleagues' projects, your your did you start developing your own projects or did you start PAing? How, while, did, how while, did it progress? While I was still in school, I, uh, I had Larry Engel was one of my professors and he's a very active filmmaker. And, uh, and he'd come into class every day and be all like, well, yesterday I was on this discovery shoot. And I was like, dude, stop talking about it if you're not going to take us with you. And so I just every single day be kind of poking at him like, let me come be in a, a PA or like a camera assistant, anything. So he finally took me seriously and took me along on a discovery shoot, like right in my first semester of school. And it was awesome because I got to, um, we did the curiosity show for discovery when they were trying to find their host. And so we were doing all the host um, kind of screening episodes. It was cool, you know? So I, I think a big part of it is just getting into the situation where you accept any job. Another friend of mine, he put out feelers and would take any job, even if he couldn't do it, he just figured it out. And now he's super successful, you know, so I think a big part of it is just getting your fingers wet and, you know, like, is that a right phrase? Fingers uh, wet? Feet wet. Feet wet. Yeah. <laughs> fingers. <laughs> I mean, the same idea applies. I mean, if you're doing production, you're not really using your feet. Yeah. Well, you're using your hands. You're standing on them for 18 hours a day. <laughs> <laughs> After you graduated, you start to get paid work as a PA and that sort of thing. And how did that, how did that work? Right after I graduated, I, I started teaching at American for a couple semesters, which was a great experience as well. And and then I got a contract with National Geographic. The nice thing about this area is, you know, we have Nat Geo, we have PBS, we have Animal Planet. We have a lot of different uh, networks that are and, and distributors that are doing really great stuff. And they all have connections with American. So, you know, that's for me is a great tie in and um because I found it's hard to get a job if you don't know somebody. And so, and then, you know, of course, I've gotten to work at Arlington Independent Media, which is really cool and keeps me really tied into a lot of the production aspects and, and keeping things fresh and exciting. So um, for me, teaching has been really a, a big part of my career trajectory. Um, but I am working on my own projects as well. And and uh, I think some of it is just finding your own work if you want to stay in production and, and uh, if you want to do kind of the post-production distribution side, uh, then you end up in an office and you, you find yourself doing more like kind of nine to five stuff. But you've got to stay active in it because no one, 
no one's going to hand you a job if you're not looking for it. And um, and I find that the, the more you work, the more you work, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, so is there is there a situation or a, or a production? Because I know you've done really varied work in, within the industry in terms of, of different kinds of narrative shoots as well as just documentary shoots. And is there is there an experience that sticks out where you you really learned a lot in a short amount of time kind of just getting the hours in in terms of production and in the field oh sure uh going back to the curiosity shoot we were shooting at university catholic university in their um, physics lab and uh i don't know like there's so many crazy little terms in film you know and if you don't know them you kind of stand there looking awkward and Larry sent, I was his camera assistant, he sent me off to go get a stinger. And I'm standing in this room, like, okay, looking at everything that could possibly be a stinger. No idea at this point, no idea. So I just grab a whole bunch of different things and I bring them and I kind of display them. (laughs) And he's like, an extension cord, you dummy. And I'm like, yes, of course. And Because why not just call it an extension cord? Like, a stinger is because it's electric. It's so stupid. It's not like it's one syllable either. No, you it doesn't to make do it easier. Stinger. Yeah. It's not saves you a lot of time to say that. It's yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of the trial by fire in a big way, you know, just and also I had to guide him. You know, he was handheld camera and we were in a very small room. So I had to and I guided him right into a wall at one point. And it was just mortifying, you know, these kind of experiences where you just fail, you know? And luckily for me, he's very patient and I uh I learned because I've never walked anybody off a cliff or into a wall again since then. You know, you become hyper aware of your failings. And yeah, but I still have a problem with with the clothespins. C-37? C-47. 47. I'll never get that. And why? I don't know. It's a clothespin. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just call it a clip if you have to. Yeah. I I don't know. it's funny because I, when I first started off, I had the same idea of like, just, you know, and now I'm, I'm that guy. I'm the guy that's calling things, but I do, I do understand that not everybody in the world outside of me knows what those jargon words mean. So I try and try and dumb it down, you know, or, <laughs> well, you're teaching, so that makes sense. Right. <laughs> so you got to kind of get the best of both worlds. There's, there's actually a book. It's a book that describes or helps people understand really complex systems and things and uses like fourth grade uh, vocabulary. So it's like, how does an engine work? And it goes through an engine is a box with a thing inside that, you know, (laughs) it goes through this long description, but with vocabulary that's not sophisticated. I need that. Mm -hmm. I want that. Yeah. So then what about, what about, because I know that you are interested in producing your own content and have produced your own content for people when they're first starting off it can seem pretty daunting to you know tell a story and there's so much technical stuff that they might need but also even project management and management of people to execute that that vision that you have i think in film you definitely have to do the whole jeffersonian kind of model of hiring people that are smarter than you at what they need to do and then just trust implicitly that they're gonna you know follow what you say but at the same time then you have to be really clear about what you're looking for you know like lookbooks and you know creating a an idea of what you're expecting is such a big it's such a big deal like I always talk about a, a single man 
as far as lighting goes, because it's such a beautiful film that John Ford, uh, Tom Ford, excuse me, did. And um, he really utilizes the lighting to convey this loneliness, this coldness of this man's life. And there's certain points where he, when they flash back to his lover's life, it's very vibrant. It's very colorful. It's warm. And towards the end of the film, spoiler alert, I apologize. Um, as he's regaining his life, you see, you actually see like flushes of color come into the cheeks of, of the people he's talking to because he's reengaging in life. And, and so the warmth is coming back. It's beautiful. And I think, wow, how he must have analyzed how he was going to shoot this, the look he was going for, and then to really discuss it with his lighting and his DP people, his DP, um, to really get that to convey so beautifully. And that's all pre-production, you know, I I think it's really vital to uh, have a crew that you really trust and, and just come prepared. Like nobody can do anything if you don't let them know what they need to do. And I, I, I find it interesting when you, when I, cause I've hear, heard talks of, of people uh, like Spike Jones, who has a very unique process in the way in which he works and somebody like a Michael Lee, if you've, or Mike Lee, if you're familiar with him, um, Spike Jones does something that, that is, that he budgets like nine months to a year of editing and everything is kind of improv in the shooting and he relies heavily on a really strong DP um, to to set the set the tone of the visuals and everything else. And he kind of shoots a lot and lets the actors kind of play with the scenes and then he spends that eight, nine months editing whereas he budgets for it up front so it's not necessarily a problem. But in his... I've seen him talk about his films and and he doesn't attribute any real meaning to it. So if someone brings something up, were you trying to do X? And he says, well, if that's up, if that's what you saw, then that's what you saw. You know, it's not he's not taking a position a lot of times with with what he's what he's in, you know, putting into a film. And then Michael Lee is, is interesting because he's he literally doesn't write a script, but he casts for the film. And he'll spend a year casting and he'll find locations and take the, his actors to the location and and spend time just in a location with the actors. And there's no script. And the idea is that those actors are becoming those characters in a sense. And they he sets them up emotionally to be the actor or be the person on the day that they need to be without words. Right. So you're you've got to find a really unique actor to be able to pull that off. And so it's just a different, just to get out of the the mindset of a script and then hire DP and then shoot. There are other ways to approach it, and there are other ways to organically kind of make your project. It's just going to take a really long time yeah. to do. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you find your strength, like there's certain directors that never work with actors; they're just not actors directors. And then there's other ones that will, you know, like really get that performance out of the out of the actor. I think if you can figure out what your strength is in that regard and then really utilize that. Like I cast one time a guy who I thought was great for this script that I wrote um, about this girl who's totally coming on to this. Like she wants this relationship to go somewhere not realizing that the guy's gay. Um, and I wrote it that the guy is very like he doesn't seem gay. He's, he, he is gay. He just doesn't seem gay. And I cast a guy who when he auditioned, auditioned very straight acted very gay so it was a totally different character all of a sudden this guy who everybody could tell was gay 
except for her. And it changed the story. And I didn't mind it. I actually kind of liked it. She just was, she liked him and she was blind to that, um, which sometimes we are, right? And I, it was funny to me to see how who I cast in that role really changed how the story kind of came across and how differently it would have been had I cast a really macho, um, like, man, man, like, kind of thing. And, you know, then it would have been a big surprise. So, um, yeah, it's you, it, it's tricky. It's tricky, especially like, you know, when you're on set and you have your actors, they're laying about like just kind of in the way most of the time. But they're the most important part of the film, according to everybody else. But when you're on set, they're literally the least important people. Like, can you go have a bagel and run over your lines? Like, just get out of the way. That's so funny that you say that because I just interviewed my friend Chris Capizzi, who's who's out in L.A. now. Um, working as a commercial actor and getting booked and doing it, you know, making it happen. And he said, he's like, actors are lower than PAs. They don't know what to do with us. We show up, we're the weird ones that just kind of sit in the corner. They don't know how to talk to us or what to do with us. But from your point of view, since you were an actor for many years, you're coming at it from a different perspective as well. So can you talk a little bit about that and your mindset? And maybe there's, like you said, certain directors don't work with actors or don't know what to do with them, for, for to put it that way. Um, wh- what's your what's your point of view? Because you probably have a different value put on acting or actors. Coming from an actor's point of view, I recognize the massive insecurity because you're in front of the camera. You have to look good. You have to present this well. And you have no idea how it's coming across because you're so in this bubble of portraying or being sad or angry or happy or whatever the situation is. And um, you just have to rely that someone's going to tell you that you have a big eye booger or that, you know, that you're doing something wrong. When we were on Fort Bliss, we were, we actually shot it on Fort Bliss. So we had like all the, all the extras, all the, the, a lot of the actors were actual active army people. So Michelle Monaghan sticks her hands in her, in her pockets of her fatigues and this guy behind me starts muttering, oh, she shouldn't do that. I'm like, well, speak up, fool. Like, don't let her do that on camera. She has no idea. She's not a military person. That's why you're here. You know, having somebody on set that can really be all like, hey, hey, well, we have continuity people. And they're really, really, really important because there's nothing more imp- more annoying than seeing someone, you know, having green earrings on and then the next scene, no earrings on. Um, but. It was kind of mind-boggling to me that he didn't say anything, you know? So I'm, I'm hollering at her, like, take your hands out of your pocket. Which, have, you, have you worked with a director that, when you were an actor or an actress, that was sympathetic or that you knew that, that knew where you were coming from that, that you can remember? Yeah, I think I did a film a long time ago that never was finished. And um, the director was also one of the, one of the actors in it. And uh, so, I mean, there was a lot of where do we need to go with this together to get this scene going? And we actually talked a lot. So yeah, that was a good one because he was in almost every scene with me. So yeah, definitely. And then there's been scenes where you're, you know, like you're basically meant to shut up, sit in the corner and then just hit your mark and be done. You know, like I don't want anything out of you. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But I feel like, you know, especially in, you want to tell your, you want to look at your actor. You want to look at your talent and say, well, you look amazing. Or that's, you're great. Just to give them that little extra. Oh, well, it's lonely, right? It's yes. lonely to be put on display and 
there's got to be so many biological reactions to to that like you're you know they say that there's when you're when you're the reason one of the reasons why people have a really hard time public speaking is that it it goes back to being on a prairie in in the open when there's all these predators that are gonna potentially attack you you know what i mean i mean it's the same same concept of of being on camera and having all these eyes on you it's like well somebody's gonna attack and like to get past that to begin with i have a lot of respect for for people that are acting but also do it well because it's you know to have to have some nuance and to to know what what they're doing in terms of art yeah and it's really like you have to bear your soul you know you have to yeah you're playing a character but you're still giving a part of yourself you know like the way you're crying that's why you probably really cry you know so you're showing that to people and that's hard you know it's hard and you're not probably going to be um not nobody's going to come and envelop you in a hug too because mm-hmm. it's just your character you're fine you know but it's really draining i think for a lot of people or I, I heard in Fifty Shades of Grey, not that I've seen the movie, <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with it. Girl, I went the first weekend. <laughs> I bet you did. <laughs> <laughs> but they left for Dakota Johnson, like naked, strapped to a bed, and nobody, you know, I guess um, Jamie Dornan would come over and kind of cover her up, but she's literally strapped to a bed. This actress in between scenes, and they don't release her, you know, she's naked. She's still a person. She's still naked. So to not take into consideration that mental well-being is really brutal. Like there was a pretty intense scene in Fort Bliss and um, they cleared the set for it, which I thought was really vital. You know, I mean, it was a hard scene to shoot. It was really difficult for both the actors. And um, and I can't imagine having to do that in front of a whole bunch of people that are just like chewing on their gum and, you know, kind of flipping through their iPhones and while you're having to really display a lot of emotion, it's tough. Speaking of how acting is is can be a lonely job, directing and producing can be lonely as well because you everyone is looking to you to to carry out the vision. Can you talk a little bit about uh, current projects that you're you're working on and uh, ones that you want to try and get off the ground and and what what you're working on? I'm gonna talk about being lonely. Talk about writing. Writing sucks. Like, <laughs> I don't understand people who say they love to write. I really don't. Because it takes me three hours just to get to the typewriter or typewriter to my computer and actually start writing. In the meantime, my kitchen's clean. I've cleaned out the litter box. <laughs> like, everything else is done. I hate it. But then you get into it. I wrote a full-length screenplay in four days. Um, now, to be fair, I thought about it and I'd analyzed it and I'd written. What are you, Jack Kerouac? <laughs> I am the champion. <laughs> Now, of course, I had to rewrite it, and it needs another rewrite. So, um, yeah, it's not easy. Writing is rewriting, but that's lonely because you, unless you have a writing partner, you're on your own with a, with all these crazy characters in your head that are talking to you. It's like a socially sanctioned form of multiple personality disorder. When I was first in college, I would wrote scripts and short stories and all this stuff, and I and I'd learn I. From a colleague, I used to do these programs where you travel with young people that were my age. That we're all kind of, you know, in this thing together. B- bonds were formed really quickly. And I'd learned that somebody else is interested in writing or does writing. I'm like, cool, we should swap swap stories and we can give each other feedback. And they'd be like, uh, uh, you, want, you sure you want to do that? I'm like, yeah, let's just. And it was just complete, just I didn't care. Say whatever you want. 
I'm happy to, you know, I'm really good at taking feedback, give it to me, you know, it makes me better, all this stuff. And then there reached a certain point where I kind of stopped doing that and I stopped asking for feedback and stopped kind of, and I got a little bit more protective and I'm probably better now than I used to be, but I'm more protective of it now, which is interesting. And it's something I'm working on to break out of, but it's so necessary to, to progress. And you get stuck in this idea of like, I rewrote it five times Mm -hmm. and it's like, is this making sense at all anymore? (laughs) You know? Well, but at the same time, you got to be real careful who you get it from because yeah. I think it can be really destructive. Like um, I hear you. the crap feedback I got on on that one little script made me not want to touch it anymore. And and just because they didn't know how to give feedback and they didn't they don't understand what it is. And it's tough. I mean, this is a really tough industry. People really don't understand. Um, you know, People are getting a lot more savvy. We have a lot more equipment. Like everything is more user friendly. I think people understand editing. They understand a lot of the, the terminology now. But um, they still don't get like certain nuances that are really important. And I think that's something that you gotta be real careful when you're asking for advice from people who don't do it for a living. Cool. Well, thanks for coming on and chatting with me. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Media on the radio is reported at Arlington Independent Media. For more information, visit arlingtonmedia.org. Please subscribe on iTunes to Media on the Radio where each week it'll send the podcast directly to your phone. You don't have to do anything. It'll just send it right to you. It's so easy. You can go to waitwhatpro.com to find past episodes of Media on the Radio. This is Devin Gallagher, host of Media on the Radio, and thanks for listening.